Today's reading is from Psalm 116, and you can find this in the Church Bibles on page 435. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted, and in my dismay I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Peter. If you can take out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 116 and have it open there, I'm sure it'd be helpful to you as it, it'll be for me. And before we actually get into uh, Psalm 116, let me just say a few things about Psalms in general. Uh, just to say that there are many, the, the reason why we're doing the Psalm series over the summer is because many people do go away and it doesn't need to sort of, it doesn't need to be a series that builds upon the previous week and things. Um, and it's because there are many different kinds of psalms. Uh, psalms. Some psalms are prophecy, like Psalm 2. Some, some psalms are uh, psalms of protest or lament, or uh, some give thanks. And some, like Psalm 116, is a psalm of praise. It's an expression of thanksgiving and praise um, to God. And that's uh, and one of the characteristics of these uh, psalms is that although m- most parts of the Bible reveal to us who God is, um, what he has done for us, and his plan of salvation, how we p- fit in to all of that, psalms a lot of times express uh, our response, people's response to what God has done in songs of lament, in songs of protest, in songs of praise and thanksgiving. So it gives us words uh, with which we can praise God and uh, with which we can lament and protest uh, against God even. And I think uh, this is the, the, the thing that's really interesting about Psalms, that in songs of lament, for example, tells us that it's okay actually, to be disappointed uh, by God and, and, and cry out to God. Having psalms of protest affirms that there are many times when we actually, uh, our expectations uh, fall, uh, fall flat and we are disappointed. 
really interesting are Psalms like Psalm 88, which is actually one of my favorite Psalms because it talks about absence of God. It starts with the absence of God. There is no God. And why, God, where are you? Why have, why have you rejected me and hide your face from me? It ends in the most depressing way. It says, you have taken uh, from me my friend and neighbor darkness is my closest friend. It starts with the absence of God. It ends with the absence of God. And the reason why I like that is because through that psalm, God says it's okay to sometimes you will feel my absence. And it's okay to cry to to me uh, with these words. Why have you rejected me? And I say all of this partly also as an introduction to Psalm 116, because Psalm 116 is a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of thanksgiving, but it's not to say that that's how we should feel all the time. Actually, it doesn't give us a formula for how we get to that point where we will praise God. It is just a response to God's goodness and God's rescue and salvation for him. It says that there are times when God will do things for us in such a miraculous and powerful way that we can praise God. It's a response to what God has done for us. Anyway, as we come to Psalm 116, let's actually pray that God will speak to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, these songs, uh, these psalms that you have given us as a gift uh, to us. Lord, we thank you that it reveals to us your goodness, your greatness, your grace, your power, and your might. But Lord, thank you so much that it reveals to us how we might respond to your goodness, uh, how we might respond when we feel your absence and when we feel disappointed in you. We thank you that you affirm our experiences, that you love us in this way, that you treat us as partners in this relationship with you. And Lord, we pray that as we come to Psalm 116, to Psalm of Praise, Lord, even if we don't feel this way, we pray that you will speak to us, that you'll help us to know how to respond to you when, we, when you do uh, think things for us in our lives. Um, we pray that you will speak to us through your Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As you might know um, this about me, that... I don't really like talking about personal relationship with God that much. Partly, it's because I think it's Western individualism that has forced Christians to think that spirituality is somehow personal, that it's between God and me, and that God and I are two equal partners in, the same, in this relationship. I think we tend to think of ourselves way too much When the scripture talks about how we have to lose ourselves in order to find ourselves in the greatness of God, in the greatness of Jesus, in his plan, in his kingdom, in order to find it. When Jesus came, Jesus came to establish his kingdom, not to save individual souls. When John writes, for God so loved the world, he meant the world, the whole world, not just me, not just you. When Paul writes in his letters to you, addresses you, it's not to me as an individual, but it's he addresses the church. He addresses the body of Christ all over the world in the present day, but also for us, all of us. So I cringe a little bit when people talk about this personal relationship with God. But here's the thing. Christianity 
is also about me. It is also about you. I shouldn't cringe because the Bible actually affirms both. Christianity is about God's love for the entire world. But how the God who loves the entire world and how uh, God who created the entire world also loves me, has saved me. It's both about uh, renewal of the whole of the creation as well as a personal salvation story for each one of us. Gospel, Gospel establishes all of us as part of God's kingdom, as God's people, God's nation. But then also, the gospel is a personal salvation story for each one of us. And I think that's what's so striking to me about Psalm 116. One of the things that I find astonishing is how, 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 um, how personal this psalm is. Almost every verse has I, my, or me in it. Just take a look at how it starts in verse 1 and 2. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ears to me. I will call on him as long as I live. I, my, me is there throughout verses 1 and 2 and the rest of the psalm as well. If there's any doubt whether believers in the Old Testament had some sort of a personal relationship with God, I think this psalm removes all doubt. They had a personal relationship with God. They cried out to God individually, and God has helped them individually. And the psalmist experienced God's salvation, personal salvation. God answered his personal prayers. He was saved. He says that in verse 3. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. We're not too sure who the psalmist is or what the exact nature of the trouble was, but it was serious. It involved threat of death, anguish of grave, distress and sorrow. And he, he thought he was going to die. He mentions it again in verse 8. And he was afflicted, verse 10. Uh, maybe he was facing a death sentence or his enemies were chasing him. He was left alone and he says he couldn't trust anybody. Verse 11, everybody is a liar, he says. So he did what these people who are in trouble do. They looked to, he looked to God. He said, Lord, save me. And you see, as much, once again, as God cares about his whole nation, Israel, his kingdom, and how that foreshadows the kingdom that is to come in this whole world, God was listening to him and his cries, and he rescued him. Verse 8, For you, Lord, have delivered, delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He was saved. Recently in Men's Breakfast, uh, someone asked whether God, uh, God our King, uh, who, one who is so holy and who, who is uh, uh, so uh, grand, who has created the whole universe, should have a relationship with us, a personal relationship with us, whether we are meant to have this personal relationship with him. Another, another person in the group said, of course. He wants to have a relationship with us. He created us to love us and to take care of us. That's why he made us. This other person responded, I completely agree. But the question that he asked wasn't a foolish one, right? It's a great wonder that God should care for us, to each one of us. In fact, that exact sentiment is mentioned in another psalm, Psalm 8. It's one of my favorite psalms. 
The psalmist says, O Lord, our, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How you have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praises of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. To silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you are to take care of them. What is mankind that you would be mindful of us? The one who has created the whole universe, who is majestic, wants to have a relationship with us, that he hears our personal prayers. Isn't it a wonder that God, in the eternity of Trinity, in his eternal fellowship, God has carved out space for us in Jesus Christ, in his Son, so that we can be with God, that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf even now. God is, God wants to have this personal relationship with, with us. He cares for us. There might be times in our, in our life when maybe our life, like the psalmist, is in jeopardy, and maybe it's cancer, maybe it's a robbery or accident. Whatever it is, we can cry out to God, and he will listen. Save me. He hears our cries for mercy when we call on him, and we can call on him as long as we live, as the psalmist has done. And it doesn't have to be about the big things, life and death situations. He cares about our exams. He cares about our temptations, our spouses, our direction in life, job, surgery, or even a common cold. We can go to him because God loves each one of us. And this psalmist tells us that. God listens and acts. But maybe there are those of you, once again, when I talk about this sort of thing, I always think, um, well, what if he doesn't? You know, well, I've cried out to him, and God hasn't answered my prayers in this way. I've been in trouble. I called out to God, and God seems so silent. I identify not so much with one, uh, Psalm 116, but maybe with Psalm 88, when I feel the absence of God. And maybe there are those of us here in this room uh, for, for whom faith is more of an intellectual uh, variety. They think, they believe that God has created the world, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came and died and rose again, that he will come and bring uh, his kingdom here on earth. They believe it intellectually, but it's not that they have this sort of personal relationship. I actually think that a lot of second-generation Christians, yeah, Christian, second-generation Christians who have grown up in the church maybe feel this way. They know all of this. But this personal relationship seems a bit far away. So how important is it that we have this personal experience of God? Is it necessary that all Christians have this personal experience or relationship with God? I often have this conversation uh, with more uh, Christians with charismatic background. Since charismatic churches tend to emphasize God's uh, sort of uh, experience now, experience with you now. And experience sometimes in these churches are marks of conversion or maybe something that spurs on your growth. They say this is something that's necessary. And about a year ago, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine uh, who is a pastor in, uh, in, in California who is also charismatic. So I asked him, why is it necessary that I should pray for a miracle or a healing or a prophecy or to hear a voice, voice from God, this sort of dramatic experience that uh, this psalmist has had. 
I pointed out to him, I pointed to the scripture, and I said, look, I know the I know the Bible, and I believe in the Bible. I said to him, I know that God runs the world. I know that God loves me. I know that God does miracles. Um, because God has revealed himself in the Bible, and I trust in his word. I told him that I don't have to personally sort of experience God in this way. And my friend told me, you, the thing is, when you have experienced God in this way, uh, when people personally experience this sort of miracle, it is transformative. It changes them. It gives them sort of this conviction that they never had or joy that they never had, uh, commitment that they never had. It helps people to grow. Why not pray for these things? Why not pray that God would give you this sort of experience? And of course, this is what we see in this psalmist as well. Verse 5. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. You know, that's completely biblical language, Bible's language, isn't it? God is gracious and compassion. He's known this as he was growing up. He listened to this. But somehow, what he knew became personal. Right? The difference here is that what he knew, it, it, he experienced from um, uh, verse 6. He goes on to say in verse 6, The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. That's why he's saying that God is gracious, righteous, and full of compassion. Because what he knew, he personally experienced. He was transformed by it. And we know that he's transformed because he asks a different question, right? It's no longer, save me, verse 12. He says, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? And the rest of the psalm, starting verse 13, he answers, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I'll sacrifice a thank offering. I'll fulfill my vows in the courts of the Lord. He says he will live differently. He will call on God and depend on God in all things. He will celebrate God's salvation, not just privately, but in the courts of his people, participate in the public worship. He will do what God has asked him to do, he says. This is a, this is a, a picture of a transformed life. Experiencing God's salvation has transformed him. It's made him ask uh, questions of how, we'll re- how he will respond to God's grace. When we realize that God hears us, cares, uh, cares for us, um, answers our prayers, it does change us. And there are many people who have experienced this here, um, sometimes in big ways. But it doesn't have to be just in these big ways, right? Um, I've never had a dramatic sort of experience of God, but I do remember listening to my dad's sermon my dad is a pastor, by the way, when I was younger. And I was listening to a sermon, being convicted that God loves me. It became a conviction, maybe an experience that's different from sort of my normal day experience. For some, it's through answered prayers. You prayed, and God answered your prayers, and it gave you the sense that God is really alive, that he cares for me. Sometimes it's being just awed by uh, the creation, Going and going, uh, going, going and seeing the, the creation and going, wow, God, it, God really has created this whole thing. Often it's through the scripture speaking to us in small voices but in powerful ways. 
as you do your quiet times, as you listen. In many small and big ways, experiences are important. It is something that we should be seeking. It is something that we should be asking God for. And these experiences are in our midst. And isn't it interesting that the psalmist says in verses 14 and 18, that he says he'll fulfill his vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. He recognizes that God's salvation, this personal testimony that God has given him, should benefit others, the people, people of God. Uh, This is what this means. My experience of God should be shared with all of you. Our experience of God, uh, my experience of God is our experience. Your experience of God is our experience. This is why we must share it with other people, in the presence with all his people. At this point, I want to um, bring Mary up. Uh, Psalm 116 is actually her favorite psalm because she identifies with it so much. Uh, You can come. (laughs) And uh, instead of telling you uh, that we should share our experience, that we should share our testimonies, I thought that would be good to hear from a person, um, a person uh, who has experienced God in this way, and hear from it and praise God uh, uh, for it. So here's Mary. And then I'll come up and close. Good morning. Um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my testimony with all of you. Um, my testimony requires me to review some past attitudes and behaviors that I feel are shameful to me. Um, already, it makes me extremely nervous and vulnerable. But I hope that through it, uh, we can see how powerful and beautiful our Lord Jesus is. Romans one twenty one says that for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts darkened. This applies to many non-Christians, particularly me. So although I was young, I wasn't ignorant. I distinctly wanted to be desired and loved. At the same time, I was insecure about these things. And so I compromised integrity and my identity, tradition and virtue, if it would make boys at school pay attention to me, or if it would make others want to be my friend. Uh, With my parents, I tried to meet every unsaid and said expectation for a daughter, if only it would make them approve of me. I would attach myself to anyone who could feed these ugly and insatiable desires. But despite all these sacrifices on my part, I was still left feeling disappointed, unsatisfied, and lonely. No one could seem to love me enough. So the cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. I was disgusted at my own greed and arrogance, yet I tried to make excuses and blame others for others as inadequate. I would tell myself they were not worthy to be my friends. Um, at the same time, I despaired that it was me who didn't have enough wealth to buy what was needed to satisfy my heart. Because either I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't pretty enough, I wasn't interesting enough, or I, wasn't, I just wasn't good enough. Um, I was ashamed at my behavior and yet still fought to justify myself against my conscience. The things that should have brought me happiness disappointed me one by one. 
My parents neglected me. My so-called friend, best friends found new best friends. And I broke up with my boyfriend, whom I derived intimate love from, but still felt unsatisfied with. I became depressed. I stopped eating and sleeping. At the age of 20, I made feeble attempts at suicide. What exactly was I looking for? What could make life meaningful again, or meaningful at all? My family saw and worried. My mom suggested that I try going to church and praying, um, but I found that nothing in church made sense. Yet I was curious about a son of God who died for everyone's sins, who everyone's sins. He died so that I could live. Part of me acknowledged that I am a sinner, but I continued to deceive myself. I was still arrogant. I prayed for months, asking to be saved from this feeling of despair. But actually, I should have been praying to be forgiven and saved from my sins because that's what I needed. I just couldn't say those words. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. After nearly a year, I gave up on keeping my life in order to take the one offered. It was then that I could hear Jesus speak mercy and faithfulness to me. Return to rest, to return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. No longer would I trade identity for another's esteem because Christ's love is fully satisfying. No longer would I judge my relationships with family and friends because I was forgiven. And no longer would I trade integrity for cheap moments of satisfaction because Jesus has died and risen for me. The next Sunday, I went, to, went up to my local pastor asking to be baptized. In my mind, a new life with the Son of God is not a thing to delay. It didn't matter that I wasn't fully comfortable with church life, and it didn't matter what becoming a Christian would mean to my non-Christian friends and family. I was simply thankful and filled with a new desire to fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And I praise the Lord to, to this day. Thank you. She's my wife. It, she's great. <laughs> Uh, whether you've had a sort of this intensely personal experience with God or not, you know, Mary describes uh, how she was in despair and she became a Christian and she almost sort of audibly heard God's voice um, in, in, in her life. Uh, whether you've had that sort of intense experience of God or not, um, let me conclude by saying, actually, Psalm 116 is a psalm that we can all, we should all, be able to identify with. Um, because this, the, the, the kind of salvation this, that the psalmist experienced is actually the salvation that we have all experienced, not just Mary, not just the psalmist, but all of us. You might say, well, I've never been saved from snares of death, anguish of grave, distress and sorrow, affliction, being surrounded by enemy. Maybe you've never experienced depression um, in, in such deep way like Mary has. Uh, thinking about committing suicide, I've never, or, or I've never been saved from this sort of personal disaster. But you see, 
You have. We all have. Because human beings are all destined to experience this. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ will sacrifice once to take the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, we all live once, and then we die. And we, would, we will face judgment. We are to deal with our sins. We are all supposed to find out the gravity of our sins and experience anguish and distress, sorrow and affliction. We're all supposed to be surrounded by our enemy, Satan, who will accuse us of all the things that we have done. But you see, we are spared because of Jesus. The psalmist wrote in verse 15, Precious is the sight of the Lord, uh, sight of the Lord uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servant. Well, actually, although he feels this way, this psalmist is not a faithful servant. I know that he sinned afterwards. I know that he broke his vows to God that he made afterwards. I'm sure of it because he's a human being. And to be honest, I'm not a very faithful servant either. And I know that you aren't either. But there is one who's completely faithful, faithful servant of God. But although his life is precious, he wasn't spared. He wasn't freed from his chains. He went to the cross and took our place and suffered the snare of death. He experienced anguish, sorrow, distress, affliction on our behalf. He was surrounded by our enemies. He suffered so that we won't have to. That's why we lift up the cup of salvation, mentioned in verse verse 13. In communion, don't we? Instead of drinking, drinking the cup of God's just wrath, the wrath that we deserve, we drink the cup of memorial of our salvation. He has saved us because he loves his people, because he loves his world, but he loves me and you. And the message of the gospel is a personal, is personal, as personal as it gets, and it should transform us because Christ has done all of this. We should be able to join in with the psalmist and sing hallelujah, which means Praise the Lord. So as we uh, come to the end of our service, we are going to praise the Lord uh, by singing this song that, has, uh, um, that people have been singing for hundreds of years, Amazing Grace. Uh, it's a personal message for, uh, for, uh, for him as well as it is for us. So please stand and let's sing together Amazing Grace. <laughs>